the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Such a blessing to be part of a body. All humanity, because we're made in God's image, we all long for that. It's why people join good, wholesome things and why they join really harmful, dumb things. But if there's a group involved, if there's identity But the body of Christ is especially great. I'd I'd like to this morning just say thank you to people who sent some of us some very encouraging cards and encouragement this week even, just out of nowhere. It wasn't pastor appreciation, anything, and it came at a perfect time. So thank you. But I love the way that our church in so many ways is here for each other, and I, I think we overall do a really good job. But this morning, as we continue this series called Alelum, as we continue to remember that this idea that God has a special, very distinct plan for his people, how we treat one another. And that that, even that Greek word, it it doesn't have an English equivalent. It, It means one another within a group, one another within a distinct body. And we continue to explore this. I I hope that you open your heart, your soul, your mind to maybe we can all go even deeper in this. It's never condemnation. It's never me judging anybody. If anybody needs it, it's probably me. But this is the truth. This is where we need to go more than ever before. So if you'll come on one more journey, we're going to look at some stuff that we've got to do for Alelo, for one another within the body of Christ. You guys ready? All right, here we go. First thing, this is a review of not the whole thing, it's just part two kind of of some things we've seen already. Say it with me if you would out loud. We do not condemn one another. And again, this is a concept that is you judge one another, not just that you kind of disapprove, you pass sentence. You say, you can't be part of us anymore. We're done with you. What you did is so much worse than what I did that we just can't get along. It's it's a very arrogant and broken way of life. Another way to look at it is, is the simple concept of legalism. And we've all experienced that in one way or another. Maybe we were the legalistic ones. Maybe somebody was against us. But we, we pick out certain rules that we're going to enforce with no grace whatsoever and other rules that we decide there can be grace on. And then we pass judgment accordingly. Say it with me one more time. Here within the body of Christ... We do not condemn one another. There are some healthy things that we can do that are hard. There are some healthy things we can do with our physical bodies that actually hurt. If you've ever tried bodybuilding, if you've dieted for a long time, if you, there's a lot of things that they're not your favorite thing in the world. But we do them because they're worth it. They pay off. But then there's other things that we do to our bodies sometimes, any kind of self-harm, deliberate or accidental, and it causes pain and suffering, but there's no good payoff, is there? That was an easy question. There's no, there's no good payoff, is there? There isn't. That's what legalism is like. It doesn't actually help anything. So Paul tells us, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. In other words, not only should we not be making sure somebody else doesn't get to participate, we need to take responsibility to make sure we're not doing anything that makes it hard to participate. We're not doing anything that makes it less likely at all that they will be able to be part of this group. 
Some of the particular things that Paul explores in Romans 14 in particular is some, culturally they're kind of foreign to us, but the concepts that we deal with, the, the feelings are the same. He talks about uh, a controversial issue then of eating meat sacrificed to idols. You might have heard this before, but if it's a confusing passage for you, I just want to break it down really easy. Some of them, they said, hey, we're stewards of God's money. The cheapest meat in the market has been pre-sacrificed to idols, and then they kind of bring it into the marketplace. That's the best way to eat. And who cares if somebody's prayed a prayer to a stick or a stone before they put it on this table? It's just meat. We're good. And then there's a bunch of other People who are going, how dare you? Every single dollar you get, well, they didn't have dollars, but you know what I'm saying. All that you do to support idolatry keeps idolatry going. How can you call yourself a Christian? They all, they're all part of the body, but they couldn't get along because of this. And that's why Paul says, he deals with that issue. And I love the way he does it. He doesn't say, listen, Meat sacrifice to idols is fine and everybody better eat it and just be quiet and stop griping. They're right. Y'all are wrong. He doesn't say that. And he also doesn't say, hey, you guys shouldn't be wasting God's money on meat sacrifice to idols. Y'all are wrong. They're right. He takes to the heart of it. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if, you, if we walk through the scriptures with wide open eyes, you're going to see this every single time. Of course, there are issues that matter. Of course, there are sins that we cannot tolerate. All sins cannot be tolerated. Of course, there are issues. Of course, we need to understand what's true. Of course, we need to press deeper into that. But if we do that in a way that rips apart the body, if we do that in a way that just eliminates grace, if we do that in a way that... that keeps certain people out and only lets certain people in. Something's not right. doesn't mean those issues don't need to work out. It doesn't mean we need to justify sin. That's forbidden. But somehow we've got to keep the love and the grace and the mercy and the unity at the top of the list. In Galatians, Paul deals with another controversial issue. Uh, and in that one, he has the same approach. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you will not be consumed by one another. That Galatians 5, by the way, is the same passage where he not only lists a bunch of things that come from the old self, the old way, the sinful nature which the longest list within that list is all the things that tear the body apart. Galatians 5 is also where he lists the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit produces in us if we submit to him fully. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think a really great rule of thumb is if you are embroiled in a controversial issue with another Christian, you should look at the fruit of how you're handling it. I should look at the fruit of how is what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Is there more love and joy and peace and patience 
and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in me and in them because of how we're dealing with this issue or not? Because if it's the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is really driving the train here, guess what you're going to see? The fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you or the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if he's really behind the passion, he's really behind the conviction, he's really behind, this has to stop. This needs to start. In the midst of it, you're going to see his fruit. Are you reading that text? Is that catching? Are you you feeling this? It's true. In Colossians... Oh, I'm sorry. Back to Romans 14 one more time. Paul says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And in Colossians 3, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I'm, I'm going to read this one more time. Please make sure you're following along in your printed Bible or up here. Make sure I get this right. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to their death, therefore, whatever is earthly in your brothers and sisters. Is that right? Where's the focus supposed to be? We're, we're supposed to be getting this right. And our brothers and sisters are there to help. We're getting there in just a few minutes. But, 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 but our focus should be making sure it's not in us. In these, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We have a new identity. We have a new sense of unity. We have a new purpose. And in that, all things become new. And in that, Paul says, same passage, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So just a couple more digs deep into that. There we are. Now we can talk about the two big ones that we're really focusing on today. Because it's got to be within a spirit of love. It's got to be in a spirit of this is going to help the whole body. It's got to be everything that we do to help one another. And yes, we do need to help one another get rid of sin. Yes, we do need to help each other do better things. But it's got to be Not in condemnation, but in conviction. Not in condemnation and judgment and you better straighten up or else, but in how can I help you break free? Because you're part of this same body. Because I love you and we need you and we need what you bring to the table. With all that in mind, let's go to the next one. Say this one out loud with me if you would. It's easy. It's four words. It's a lot easier to actually do, but let's say it. Here we go. We teach one another. Now, the way the Holy Spirit does his thing is he's always going to empower some of us with a supernatural level of certain things. 
So there's going to always be people who are prophets. They speak for God. People who are supernaturally good at teaching. You may not even like the way they teach, but you're going to remember what they say. It's going to make an impact on your life. Encouraging. Some people can write a beautiful love sonnet and it doesn't do anything as much as somebody else going. And it's because the Holy Spirit has given them a gift of encouragement. Is this? Okay. But that being said, there's always going to be some teachers that have a certain responsibility. The parents and grandparents among us especially have huge responsibility to teach and to mentor those who are younger than us and those of us especially in our own family. But at the same time, all of us are called to do this. And that's what we're looking at this morning is those ones that it does. For example, I'll just see, let you see a glimpse of how the Bible actually spells this out. Uh, in Ephesians 4, he's talking about that the, those big leadership gifts are to empower everyone to do the will of God. He says he gave the apostles, that means people who are sent out, prophets, people who speak for God, evangelists, people who are really effective at sharing the good news of Christ. The shepherds, sometimes that's called overseers, elders. It's people who help everybody get where they need to be. And teachers, people who help people understand God's word. And it just makes sense. And they know how to apply it and how to communicate it better after that. But Jesus himself, he says, gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. We're not here to do God's work for you. And you guys applaud that and cheer that. We're here to empower you to do it. Again, the whole body needs to be fully engaged. Notice the role of the parents here as well. It goes all the way back to Proverbs, all the way back even further than that. Here's, here's in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So much beauty in that one little passage. First of all, you see both the mothers and the fathers have a responsibility, God-given responsibility to pass on wisdom, pass on skills. But these, these metaphors are beautiful too. He says, it, wisdom that is passed on from your parents becomes like a graceful garland for your head, penance for your neck. Here's what that means. The garland on your head, that's like an Olympic medal. It's a reward. It's a trophy. It's something that you get. When you get that wisdom passed on, you are passing on the ability to actually achieve greatness. The skills and the desires and the habits and the attitudes that help you get where you need to be. And the pendant around your neck, that's like a locket. That's like a family heirloom. That's like a special piece of jewelry that a husband gives his wife or wedding rings. It's, it's that kind of an idea. It's this is who I am. This represents something that's very important to me. And when we pass that on, whether we are a teacher at church, whether we are parents, whatever it is that we're passing on, that, that if we do it right, if the Holy Spirit's behind it, it's going to empower them to actually achieve what they need to achieve. And it's going to become part of who they are. 
We see this all the way back in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Notice it starts with you, me, right? That responsibility. And then he goes out, especially to parents. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, all the time. This is just how you live, sometimes how you say things, sometimes what you say, you're passing these things on. And Jesus modeled all of this perfectly, of course. Jesus is the ultimate image of God as a human being. He's the ultimate symbol of how this works, the ultimate design of how, what we should be comparing ourselves to. This is what it is. He is the head of the body of Christ. And Jesus, with his disciples, he modeled how to do this so perfectly. He spent time with them. He basically lived with them. His attitude, his choices. It wasn't just the lessons that he gave. It wasn't just the stories he told. It was how he told them and how he reached out to them and how he lived. It was not just demonstrations of power. It was his ability to pass even that on to his disciples. He was able to pass on the values, pass on the power to cast out demons, to heal all of those things. He, he was able to pass that on, and it was clear that that was his goal. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is right at the very end, right before the very first communion, and he washed their feet. And they just couldn't even, it just broke so many rules. It was so How in the world? They'd already given him the place of honor for the rabbi at that table, I'm sure, for his final Passover with them. I'm sure they'd done all the things they were supposed to be doing. And then he just throws all that out the window and does something unheard of. And then when he's done, John tells us, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for... So I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Once again, we see this pattern. Once again, we see this passing on, this very intentional passing on of the wisdom and the love, not just with words, but with actions, with very intentional actions. Paul found confidence in his ability to do that. We just looked at Romans 14, Romans 15. He's talking to the same group of people and listen to what he says. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. In other words, even in the midst of him still teaching them, still mentoring him, still trying to explain some of the most fundamental truths there are, you need to read the whole book of Romans if you haven't. He's saying, yeah, but you know what? You guys are already the people of God. There's always gonna be a level where somebody's teaching you and bringing you a little bit further, but you guys are already able to instruct one another somehow. And that's part of what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus also, 
the ultimate, I think, example of how he did this and how this was his model was when his time on earth was done, you remember how he ended it, the very last thing? He went up on a mountain with a bunch of people and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded. Now I will be with you always to the end of the age. In other words, he's still involved, but all of us were given that responsibility. All of us were given that ability by Jesus and left. And as we live, most of you, I think, have been here the last several weeks. You know what I mean? We live between those last two arrows. How many know what I mean by that? If you don't, it's okay. Well, I'll just tell you, it does. You don't need to know about the symbols, but you need to know this. We live between the last time Jesus was on the planet and when he comes back. And it's our job to get ready. <clears throat> Recently, I've been reading a book uh, by Kyle Eidelman called When Your Way Is Not Working. It's really good. A friend of mine here at the church gave it to me. Not sure what to think about that. <laughs> but there's a lot of insightful things. And one of them was, he, he, he asked, why is it that so many people sometimes for some reason, mostly men see warning labels as a challenge instead of a courtesy. (laughs) And that that really convicted me because I'm like that. I I see like a warning high voltage and I go, I wonder if it would actually kill me though. I wonder what would actually happen. Uh, Anybody else, man or women? Okay, there we go. This is real. This is real. Okay, so confession, not glorifying, not saying this is how you should be. I see his point. But one of those, if we can see that one again, one of those that he specifically pointed out was this one. Caution, two-person lift required. That one hit me right between the eyes because when I see that, I go, I got this. Watch this. We got this. Two regular people. And again, I'm not proud. I'm making fun of myself, but I was like, does he know me? Has he been watching me? What does he know about this? But he's making a very serious point, and I love the two words that he chose to use. He said that all of us are being called by God to move from superficial relationships into significant relationships. It is the call of our heart, the call of our souls, all of us, to be significant in someone else's life, to have some sort of significance in the world. And and to do that in relationships, we've got to move from superficial to significant. And again, I'm like, oh my goodness, is he watching me? But, but here's some ways, some of his ways, I'm quoting him still at this point. You can communicate, here's how you know you're superficial in a relationship. You communicate information, but not feelings. Uh, you don't know the details about the other person's life. You've never had to overcome a personal conflict. You stay just one step back so that you can still get along, but you never push through even the, a minor one to get deeper. You wouldn't call that person if you needed help. Again, that sticker. (laughs) But here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm hoping that we're all learning together. I used to think that if you saw something like that and you could hand it on yourself, that was a compliment. That was a cool thing. You're, You're stronger than the average mortal. Here's what I'm learning. If you see something like that and you try it alone, you're doing it wrong. 
especially in relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how and when, I'm still learning. When do you include everybody? When do you just include a few people with the timing of sharing even prayer requests? I'm still learning and I'm not sure I'm getting it right. I'm being very, very real and transparent at this moment. But I'm still learning. And I realize that we have to, we have to let somebody in. We're not designed to do it alone. And if we are, we're doing it wrong. Which comes to the last one, what I've been trying to do this whole time. But as we wrap up this morning, I hope that this, this really gets you. Everything up to this point in one way or another is actually leading to this third point. It's not a whole new idea. It's just kind of the bullseye of the whole thing. Let's say it together. We counsel one another. I don't know if you've ever had to have therapy or maybe... I should say, had the privilege of having therapy. There's not a stigma on it as much as there used to be. In fact, it's deservedly and rightly being seen as a good thing now. But if you've ever been through that, somebody has helped you remember who you really are and form some goals and some habits, some potential rewards that break you out of a rut. Somebody has helped you process what you're going through and find some true healing, helped you find some ways to stay on track to keep pressing forward. You've had somebody that's done that. Whether it was formal therapy or just a good friend or sometimes even a book can work, but I don't recommend that as much as I used to. We need real people. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, a Bible study, a Sunday school class, whatever it is. If somebody's playing that role for you, you're being counseled. And if you're playing those roles for someone else, you are counseling someone else even if a whole lot of words aren't involved. And you may be thinking this morning, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've got that gift. I don't know. Well, maybe you don't. But you know what? Some of this stuff is for all of us. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's all of y'all. That's me. That's all of us. Know this, he says, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger does not. Condemnation does not produce the righteousness of God. It's right here in print in God's word and it's every single day if you just look around in regular daily life. Anger and wrath and all that stuff does not produce righteousness. But you know what does? Being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, like a good counselor, like a good therapist, just listening with the goal of I'm going to help you through this. Maybe you're going to help me in the process. James again, he says, therefore confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Both of those, a lay loan in the original thing. It's not talking about a priest or a a pastor or any particular person who plays that role. Though some of us, that's especially our role. It's one another. It's the body of Christ. We confess our sins. We pray for one another. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Back to Paul in Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law 
of Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Almost every part of life has a sticker on it that we're just not seeing enough yet that says two-person carry. Or maybe three or four person carry. Or maybe 20 or 30 person carry. We gotta start seeing those stickers more than ever before. We gotta start remembering that this is like a marathon. If you've ever, how many have ever been to a marathon? Anybody ever run one? I can't raise my hand. Anybody ever, hey, there we go, let's go. So he knows exactly what we're talking about. Obviously the person running is doing most of the heavy lifting, right? The person running is doing the big thing. But can you do a marathon alone? (laughs) okay i i i I guess i'm wrong but when i watch a marathon i see a bunch of people that organize it a bunch of people that make sure the police have blocked off the roads a lot of people that are standing there with water to just hand to you a lot of people along the sides that are cheering you on people that are keeping track of the clock am i right and you can run you can get out there and run 26 miles i can't you can't But I don't think you can run a marathon alone. You can't actually do it officially alone. Is is that, would you agree with that? And that's, that's, that's just, you could get a lot done on your own. You can do a lot of good stuff on your own, but we're designed to need each other. And the kingdom of heaven is designed to be a team sport, even in moments when it sometimes looks like a solo sport, even in moments where for whatever reason, one person really is doing most of the work. We're going to wrap up with some stuff from Hebrews and some even more just really laser-focused ideas about how to apply this. But let me just say this before we go there. This is always the goal. If you've got this study guide, whether you've got it digitally at home, you've got it in your hand, these are all the scriptures and more that we go through here together. Quick summary. And at the bottom of every single one, it always says, Lord, I will, and there's a blank. My hope and prayer every single time is you take something away from this and you do it. That you ask God what you want me to do, what he wants you to do and you do that. That you go back through my personal prayer and dream is every one of you takes this back and reads through those again. Maybe walks through them with your family or small group. Somehow give the Holy Spirit one more chance to unpack these truths in your own life and then figure out how to apply it. But I'll give you a couple here in a second, and here's two last scriptures. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I I, I couldn't run 26 miles. I couldn't run 25. But if, if we run 25, have we run a marathon? And that's what he's saying. You, you, it's, you've got to hold firm to the end. And you know how we do that? With each other. The whole body has to get to the end. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Notice hope, not we already made it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we don't condemn one another. Here's, here's one really practical example. We just read, don't neglect meeting together. How effective would it be if I got up here and say, do you see that in the Bible? Do you see that? Stop skipping church, you pagans. No, it would not. I believe I would be sinning. I'll be honest with you. If that's my attitude, I'm screaming and yelling at you and condemning you and how dare you. That's not showing you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. And I don't think that's okay. But I am telling you what it says. And I am telling you very gently, you need to invest. You're not just here for yourself. This isn't about how much you like to hear me talk or sing songs together, how much you enjoy communion. You're here to encourage the rest of the body. You're here to play some sort of a part. You're here to learn how to use your gifts better and to use those gifts. This is a team sport, brothers and sisters. We don't condemn one another. We invest in one another. We teach one another. We pass on what we're learning. I think the entry level of that is just join a Sunday school class or a small group, a growth group as we call them because that's what helps us grow. We grow best in small groups of believers. Another great way, here's a really laser-focused practical one. We could really use some more people investing in our children right now. We could literally double or triple our children's ministry team right now. And it's not just to sign up and go for it. There's background checks. There's all kinds of stuff. It's a process. But if that's even on your heart at all, you should talk to Emmeline and we'll we'll start that process. We could really use more people. And if you're a grandparent who loves Jesus, if you're a parent who loves Jesus, if you're not, but you're willing to serve kids, period, maybe God's calling you to that. Just saying. Third one, we counsel one another. And again, it's not just we pass on little nuggets of wisdom. We remind each other of these truths in the Bible like it's, oh, but don't forget. Uh, 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 uh. We counsel people like a really good, effective therapist. You actually help them process stuff. You help them heal from stuff. You help them move on. You help them keep moving on. You help each other. You help me. I help you. We help one another get through life. We counsel one another. Yes, with God's wisdom. That's in the bullseye of the whole thing. But also, so what do we do about it? And how do we do that in a loving way? How do we do that in a way that glorifies God? How do we do that not only accurately, but lovingly? And if we do that, the whole body looks and smells and feels like Jesus. And isn't that what we're up to? Let me try that one more time. Isn't that what we're up to? There we go. 
This morning, whatever step you need to take in that direction, I'm asking you to take it. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. That's all you need to do. Great. If you need to do more, if you want prayer, public prayer, you can come down here to the front. If you need to give your life to Jesus or give it back to Jesus, whatever he's putting on your heart this morning, let's all do it together as we stand, as we sing.